Welcome to Talent Matters, the podcast where talent, skills and grit take centre stage. I'm your host, Donal O'Donoghue, and this is episode six, and I'm delighted to be joined by founder, social entrepreneur, TV personality and all round good person, Sonia <laughs> Lennon. Welcome. Good egg. There you go. Do you know, my <laughs> colleague Nicola, just before you arrived in, said, do you know the nice thing about Sonia is every time she comes into a room, she makes everybody feel great. And I think that is a lovely compliment that, uh, that has been paid to you. Uh, she wants to know where you get that energy from. Do you have to work on it or is that natural? It is natural. I, I like I but I'm aware of the power of it. Mm. Um, and there is a, a Korean concept called nunchi. I don't know if you've ever come across it. N-U-N-C-H-I. And it is the art of understanding what a room needs when you enter it. Mm-hmm. And I, I know the return on investment of me giving a room what it needs when I walk into it. So that, you know, whether it is putting everybody at ease, whether it's getting everybody to feel like that energy needs to be held on to for something else, whatever it might be. um, I know that I have a, a gift to be able to read that really quickly and deliver. And it is. And it's something that it, I've certainly noticed it and it's impactful. So. As I've said to you, the whole idea with this podcast is that we're kind of charting through people's careers and lives um, with a focus on talent, skills and grit and talent being the kind of what you're naturally predisposed to. We start off each episode and ask, what kind of kid were you? What did you gravitate towards? And what were your early interests and talents? Um, I remember going to the career guidance teacher in school, probably in fifth class, or whatever. And our fifth year and she said to me, what what are you interested in? And I said, well, I absolutely love art and I absolutely love English. And she said to me, have you thought about nursing? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like looking at her going, what are you talking about? And and I suppose those loves and when you think about it, they are about visual and verbal communication and and like. I think that's what I do. I think it underpins everything that I do. I am a, a closet nerd. Like I love getting into the detail. I love research. You know, I, I, I didn't go to third level um, education until very recently when I did a master's in business, equity, diversity and inclusion during COVID. Um, and I really nerded out over that. Like I was like, oh, this is so amazing, you know, like filing all your references, finding the right papers, creating a a narrative arc, understanding how to write in academic language. Like I absolutely loved all that. So I would have been like a really voracious reader as a kid, like just devoured books, Um, loved words, loved um, being able to flex into a vocabulary, like in a really nerdy way. Mm. Um, So for me, it all kind of gets tied up in a bow with that communications piece. And why didn't you go to third level first time around? So I, um, I wanted to be a fashion designer. I thought that would be a really good idea. Um, the irony of where I sit right now is not lost on me, but my parents didn't think it would be a good idea. They thought that it was 
um, kind of snowballs chance of actually making it. Um, and I guess what they were thinking of was, well, to really crack it as a named designer, you know, the, the, the stats are probably against you. I suppose what they weren't thinking of was the kind of employability in the creative space at the time, because maybe we didn't really understand what that was back in the late 80s. Um, and but anyway, then a series of things happened, including a horrendous um, fire in my school just around the corner on Stevens Green. Um, where six nuns lost their lives. Um, horrendous tragedy. Um, and one of the minor symptoms of that was that the art room was uh, burned completely and the art class of that year lost their portfolios. So although I had applied to art college, um, I had no portfolio. So that dream was certainly arrested at that point. Um, and I... Found myself kind of adrift. I didn't know what to do. My parents shipped me off to Paris and said, "Well, worst case scenario, spend this year learning a language I'd already done with my leaving cert. Go and go and get better at French." Did that, um, and I had already been kind of involved in the retail sector, um, selling kind of high end designer clothes, and absolutely, I, I got kind of fizzy when I was around beautiful clothes and I I really valued the power of clothes and how they could make somebody feel. So um, when I came back from from France, I did a, a FET course in communications in Cloche de and I I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed all the modules, got really into photography, um, but also was still working in retail at the time. And made a kind of a botched attempt to do communications in IADT uh, where my husband is now president which is also hilarious didn't get didn't get the place um, and then just kind of threw my toys out of the pram I was like well I'm not playing this game this game isn't for me it's not working out and so I went to work in retail full time um, and from there I became aware of this other career opportunity which was called fashion styling and mm -hmm. um, and that's that's what happened so so um I my my sort of experience of early third level education or further education was kind of fractured and bitty. And I was doing night courses in pattern cut, cutting in, in um, I was doing night courses in pattern cutting in NCAD. Um, so bits and pieces, but but earning and learning. Um, and, you know, I think retail is a phenomenal uh, education in itself. Um the bits that, that stay with me around that experience are, first of all, understanding what a garment can do on a body when it's still on a hanger. Really understanding mm -hmm. the fall, the drape, what it's going to do. Understanding uh, the customer journey when they come in to spend money, what they expect, what they value. And thirdly, the bit that, that is just so important is building lifetime relationships that can create lifetime customer value um, and and that really all pivots on trust for me and and the courage and confidence to say no don't buy that it's you can do better Um, wait and let's let's make the right choice for you together um, So there was an ethical ethos even when you were when you're working in retail yeah it wasn't just about the quick sale I, at that level it couldn't be because if somebody was you know spending you know, six or eight hundred quid on a garment in in the early nineties, um, and you made a, a bum call on that, you know, you you lose trust. Mm. 
And did you know when when you were working in retail, did you feel like you'd always end up running your own business, being an entrepreneur or what? How did the not even vaguely? Not I mean, I had some entrepreneurs will always feel like they always knew that they want to be the master of their own destiny. Uh, That's different. Right. That's different. So I was uh, freelance. So I was a stylist. And and, Ah. and so for me, that was me as a master of my own destiny. And and that's when my journey into deep unemployability began, you know, where you're sort of suddenly going, okay, so unless it's, unless it's me creating the cultures and the decisions, I'm not sure I can, I can hack it, you know, but really I didn't have any desire to, to found an organization. And it was only when I was asked after 20 years of styling, I was asked to present off the rails with Brendan and, um, suddenly found myself at the tender age of 40 with a public profile and more collateral to leverage in that regard. So, you know, suddenly people were asking me to be involved with nonprofits and charities and would I MC this and ambassador that and lend my name to raise funds. And it was all a bit arbitrary for me. And I thought, well, I want to, if if I'm going to do this, which I, I do believe I should use this profile to create some sort of positive impact, um, I want to be in control of that and I want to make the choice that I can really passionately stand behind. Um, so I kind of have my antennae up around what that would be. And when I read about Dress for Success, um, I thought, OK, that's an organization that helps women into or back into the workplace by giving them the confidence to succeed at interview, by giving them clothes to present and the tools to message transferable skills. I thought, I love every single bit of that. Um, That's for me. So I set about getting the license to bring Dress for Success to Dublin from the worldwide body. Where where was it originally? Or where, New where York. did you come across it? was founded in New York, okay. but I had read an article about the London office. And at that stage, I think there were nearly 130 licensed offices all over the world. Um, and I just loved that empowerment angle. Um, and I suppose that directly came out of the work that we did on Off the Rails because we, we it was a makeover show. Mm-hmm. So myself and Brendan would um, minutely screen all the candidates um, and that was one of the provisions on which we said we'd take the role. Um, so we we sifted all the candidates and, and we kind of sifted out anybody who just wanted a makeover or fancied a pamper day. And we went for the women who felt like they were on the cusp of something, who had done probably 80% of the work themselves, but needed that validation and that catalyst for confidence. And so we'd, we'd wrap the present. We'd, we'd make them feel fabulous. And, and that created a real power for those women, even though they'd done most of the work themselves. Um, and as a result of that, we saw them go and, you know, leave their jobs, buy camper vans, leave, um, uh, really shitty fiancés go and you know set up their own business whatever it might be um, because they it was almost like they'd been given permission to succeed um, and that's another whole avenue you could take me down and I, I, I think that um, particularly in the landscape that we find ourselves in now which is so constricted around what to say and what not to say in a lot of cases, we need to be given explicit permission and particularly to succeed and particularly women. Um, so anyway, very ramble, ramble, ramble. But that that I, I 
saw that Dress for Success was almost a democratization of what we did for the individual in Off the Rails, mm. we could take it to a wider audience. Yeah. And Dress for Success is now? Work Equal. Okay, so it's even broadened from the initial It has, vision. yeah, it has broadened. It's broadened, broadened geographically because we were bound to, uh, I mean, nominally bound to a territory of Dress for Success Dublin, even though we served women all over um, the island of Ireland. And we were sort of philosophically bound to only serving women, whereas now um, we're an open door. Uh, we serve men as well. It is still predominantly women, but we, we serve men and we serve people all over the island of Ireland. And with the help of our new partner, Primark, we're, we're hoping to, to scale that more meaningfully. And um, we believe that, you know, it's not right that anybody who wants our services has to come to our boutique in Dublin to avail of them. We'd like to have a mechanism through partnership to deliver that service um, out into the regions. Very cool. Okay, can we go back a little bit to, um, I suppose, off the rails and your relationship with Brendan? Because you've had a, uh, your co-founders of Lennon Courtney, you've had, uh, I suppose, a long relationship of, you know, working together and complementing each other. Tell us about how that friendship and partnership began and what are your complementary skill sets? Why are you such a great team? So we, we knew each other. We had mutual friends um, before we were match made by RTE. So they, they put us together. Um, and it just, there was a great chemistry there. It just worked. Um, we really, I suppose, complemented each other in terms of his experience in, in TV presenting, my experience in fashion styling. We learned so much from each other, you know. Um, and really supported each other. And he was always um, a fantastic ally, you know, um, in some really key moments in, in my career. And always um, as the as the more recognizable of the duo, he always sort of wrapped his arm around me and brought me into the picture um, sort of physically and and literally. Um, and that was just a huge value, I suppose, to me in a, in a new career. Um, I didn't know whether I was making the right choice becoming a TV presenter, walking away from my previous life. So it was great to have that support. Um, and I, I we do complement each other. Uh, and at the core of it, I think we share a very clear um, aesthetic together. We, we we like the same things. And that, that helps when you have a, <laughs> a, a brand and a lifestyle brand that involves homewares and women's wear and home fragrance and accessories. Um, so there are definitely outer reaches um, where he he definitely is uh, a commercial marshal, if you like, whereas I'd be trying to push it further in in a design um, way. But that we need that. We, that that tension's healthy when you design. Mm. So tell us about founding the the company and its its story, because it is fascinating. It's you know what? It's it is an extraordinary story because I suppose technically we shouldn't exist now. You know, we've been through so many just struggles to get to this point. Um, we we knew we had something in us. We knew we had a brand in us, something that we could bring to market based on, you know, our, our abilities, our knowledge, our experience, our shared passions. And um, it was there was a couple of couple of really key conversations that happened. One was with um, Elizabeth Murdoch's lawyer, who's a friend of Brandon, who said, you guys should have a product. 
he at the time he was bringing the suite of master chef products to the market. He said, you have trust and you have recognition and uh, you just need newness and relevance. And that's a product that you can that you can market effectively. Um, and the trust and the recognition can't be bought. You've earned them. So now you have to wrap the newness and the relevance. So we thought about that. And then we met a, a, a contact of mine who, who worked in manufacturing. And he said, you, why don't you have your own range of clothing? Um, every time you put a piece of clothing on a woman on TV, it sells out. Why, why don't you have that? And he set up um, some connections for us uh, into the Far East for manufacturing. And we were on a pretty punitive deal at the beginning. Um, and then he gracefully walked away. And left us with the contacts. Uh, and we we really laboured very hard. It was a total Cinderella job for about the first three years. And even though we were getting, you know, ostensibly huge successes. We were in, you know, 35 boutiques. We were in Harvey Nichols. We were in uh, boutiques in London. We were um, profiled in Vogue on the first day of London Fashion Week. It was going gangbusters. The order book was up 26%. Like even the sales were going well, but the model was eating itself and and we were feeding it. We weren't taking any money out of it. How do you mean it was eating itself? Was the, was, it, was the deal just so bad that it wasn't it, it, translating It wasn't to necessarily that the deal was so bad. It was that the bigger we grew, the more resources we needed to okay. support it. And it, wa- it just wasn't making financial sense. Um, and and the margin was so, so low and the terms were so poor as well, both with the manufacturers and with the final retailers, that it, we were just beset by these horrendous cash flow crises all the time. And um, we decided at that point to, uh, to, to sort of pull it apart and say, well, what have we actually got here? And what we had was a brand that was really well regarded um, probably a little out of reach of, of quite a lot of people um, sold really well when it was on sale, but not when it was a full price. And we that's when we approached Dunn Stores and we spent seven years in with Dunn Stores, um, which was a fantastic period growing the brand and democratizing the brand and cutting cutting out the wholesale market and going direct to consumer. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we, we, we worked, we all worked very hard at that and we took it as far as we can go. We could go. Um, and we had to make a deci- difficult decision to to walk away from there, um, which which is one of the hardest business decisions we ever made, to be honest with you. But we needed the space to think about well, what what is the actual opportunity of this brand now? And we really believe that it has what it takes to grow, to grow internationally, to be an export brand. Um, and it's funny, you know, when you afford yourself both the confidence and the space to to let things take their natural course um, and you open yourself to new opportunities. Um, my experience has been that they present themselves and that's exactly what happened. And we launched in with Kilkenny Design in November um, an extended product range with clothing, homewares and accessories and a shared ambition to export our common brand to new markets. So, yeah, we're at, we're at the start of a journey all over again. Very exciting. <laughs> what are your brand values? They are equality, confidence and empowerment. Lovely, because th- that's, I think, what was always interesting about you is you're, you've always straddled that line between entrepreneur and social entrepreneur. Mm. There's, there's always an ethos and a value set mm. that 
being honest, a lot of entrepreneurs don't have. It can often be about just the bottom you know, line. I, so I, I actually, I'm going to cut across you because I, I did, I, I presented a podcast for EY, um, the architects of business for a couple of seasons and interviewed the, pretty much the, the best of the best of, of the um, Entrepreneur of the Year winners. And I came away from those two series realizing, wow, the really, really good ones are so connected into their social obligation and social justice and how they sit into the community and what their impact is and what they feel a duty to give back. Um, that I I think it can be a bit of secret sauce. And I think, look, in, in today's world, if there is nothing behind what you're doing, um, people can see it. They can yeah. smell it. So you... When we came out of COVID, I said the, the question every business should be asking themselves is, what is the point of us? Like, what do we exist for? Why would people give us their money? And, and you really have to ask some tough questions around that because it matters now more than ever what your values are. It really does. And actually, from a recruitment point of view, because, you know, I love a bit of recruitment. Indeed. Um, it's really important to candidates when they're making a choice about the organisation they want to work for. And I'm encouraged to hear you say that genuinely from the people that you met that were leading organisations that they were connected to that because you do see some tokenism where in some organisations they realise that they have to have a CSR strategy and uh, a focus on sustainability and it can it can become a little bit twee. I think there's a bit of both happening, mm. you know. Um, but... I think increasingly there is an awareness. And, and I think you have to remember that as a species, we're evolving and maturing and understanding ourselves a tiny bit better every year or decade or whatever, you know. And so to think if you if you go back even 10 years and transpose this conversation onto the recruitment landscape where candidates are making decisions as to which companies they will work for based on the company values, that just wouldn't have happened. You know, it, it's it's new language and a new way of thinking. And in 10 years time, we'll have moved on, hopefully to a higher level than that again, you know, and like even in terms of policy, all of this is linked into. So every culture is behaviours. Every organisation is people. And I think the humanity that lives at the heart of business is something that we're only beginning to understand, you know, you can hide bef behind an organization, you can hide behind a culture, but you can't hide behind your own personal values and, and, and the behaviors that drive you every day. Tell me about the decision to go back uh, during the pandemic and to take on the masters. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you studied and why. So myself and Brendan went back together um, and, and Brendan had started kind of playing around with this idea of would we do a master's or would he do a master's? And then I kind of I think he had, he had been talking to um, his pal Linda, the provost of Trinity about it. And then I got talking to David, my partner, about it. And David was like, well, you know, there is a brand new course in IADT, which is a master's in business, equality, diversity and inclusion. And I just thought, wow, that's. It just sounds right up your street. It's it? everything I love, all <laughs> wrapped up, you know. Um, and I th and I think it was a great opportunity for both of us to both uh, 
validate what we thought we knew, hopefully, and also to deepen our understanding of of the landscape of it. And it was a fantastic uh, experience. I absolutely loved it. What did you learn about yourself? Uh, well, I learned that I am a nerd, that I actually do love that, the rigor, because, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of have developed this identity where I'm quite, um, you know, slightly ethereal, you know, a little bit floaty sometimes, not not ditzy, but kind of very positive, you know, but actually what I found and actually, I think it was when I was when I was applying or I was doing some personality test and I said to, to David, um, how, how am I with process? This is before the masters. How am I with process? Shit. He said, you're shit. The only process you follow is the workouts that you do online. Everything else is just your way, your rules. You cannot follow a rule book. And actually, I learned during the masters that I could, that I could apply a rigor and a process to something. And I tapped into that bit of me that I didn't know existed. Very good. And you did all right. I, I heard a rumour <laughs> that you might have uh, you might have got a first. Yeah, I did. Well done. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, in terms of the toughest challenges, being an entrepreneur, being a social entrepreneur involved with the media, what was the fracture point? What was the closest you felt to failure? Um, well, when I actually got there, for starters. But yeah, we, we had a tech business, myself and Brendan as well, uh, which was called Frock Advisor. And it had all the hallmarks of a fabulous beast. Um, we labored really hard for five years. We took in funding. We had offices in London and Dublin and um, fabulous team of 17 staff. And we gave it everything. Like we gave it socks. Uh, we had a fantastic um, group of investors, brilliant board. And we just couldn't get it across the line. We tried everything. Um, and that, so two things. The moment where we had to pull the plug was horrendous. Um, and realizing that we were about to have a very public failure um, was brutal. Letting 17 people go was brutal. Um, and that feeling of, of letting them down, um, I, I'll never forget it. But actually, a couple of things happened. We, we made a decision to do nothing when that happened. Um, it was June. We, we were we were working to a deadline. We said we'd give it till June. We'll try these three big levers. If they work, great. If they don't, we, we cull it. Um, so that was a decision made with our investors and with the board. So everybody was, um, was on board with that. And then when it didn't work, we just said, oh, God, just go and get, go and have the summer. Do nothing. Say nothing. Don't issue press releases. Don't do media interviews. Just swim in the sea. Relax. Have food, have wine, chill out. Let's reconvene in September and talk about this. And that was actually one of the best decisions we ever made because all of the kind of uh, kinetic emotion that was wrapped around that experience had dissipated at that stage. And the big learning, of course, was nobody really cares if your business fails except you. You know, people just get on with it. They get on with life. They, they you know, go and collect their kids. They go to meetings. They do whatever they do. It's fine. You're just another statistic of the startup community. But it's only now looking back that I realized that nearly tougher than all of that was the amount of mental, physical, psychological and emotional energy that I had to invest 
in those years to try my hardest to make it work. And that was potentially catastrophic, both to me and to all my significant relationships, but you can't see it at the time. You're just, the sleeves are up, the jaw is set, you're going for all you're worth and nothing can stop you because you just have to give it everything. Um, and I'm lucky that I didn't do more damage than I did to, to myself and others, I think, at that stage. And it's just something you've got to work through. You can't go around it. You've just got to keep yeah. moving forward, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think it is, and it's something that I hear a lot from from entrepreneurs, men and women, and, and more men because there are more men, um, particularly in funded uh, businesses. Um, you know, what are the, gre the great regrets? Oh, that I miss my family growing up, that I, you know, whatever it might be, that I, that I, it cost me my marriage, that it, whatever. And, and when you're playing with those kind of stakes, um, that's, that's, that's the risk. What are you most proud of when you think back on the, not that the career is over, <laughs> but when you think back on the highlights, what are you most proud of? Um, there's kind of, <laughs> there's, there's a sort of an umbrella around all of it for me um, and that is about uh, helping people to uh, to go a bit deeper into their own potential you know so whether that is you know helping a woman to feel fantastic and, uh, and off the rails um, helping a woman to rise out of the the, the trauma of any number of things that she has found herself in before she came to work equal and and she comes through the door, she gets met with dignity and respect and kindness and she suddenly feels she has the fuel to go forward and change her story. That's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, sitting down with the prime minister of the most equal country in the world for the last 10 years Catherine uh, Jacob's daughter and and discussing policy and and thinking about how we can make Ireland better through lessons learned from Iceland, going to the EU Parliament, um, all all of that. So for me, it's kind of big P, little P proud. It's it's the individual stuff and it's the systemic stuff. And I think that's the story of how change happens. It happens with the individual and it happens with the bigger the bigger change that that is harder but is ultimately more impactful are you good at switching off I actually am you might think I'm not but I actually am really really good what and do you do to when you need to unwind um, I I am big into fit, personal fitness I, I love um you know yoga and pilates and all that kind of stuff and and actually, laterally, weights. I've got really into weights, which is um, brilliant because I never thought I would get into them. Um, swimming, sea swimming, hanging out with my friends, dancing, drinking, eating, um, reading. It's simple things. It's just simple things. Eating with family. Um, just, I, it, it's, it has distilled down into something. <laughs> Mind you. I do like champagne as well, right? So that's that's also that's you can okay. put that in there that's as well. Right. Um, 
But it is because we were having a conversation myself and my girlfriends and we were like, you see, it's simple. It's so simple. We just need to swim in the sea as we're swigging a glass of champagne afterwards. But, you know, it's it, it is simple stuff and it's human connection and it's um, like I'm really lucky to be in a career that is purpose led mm. and 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 passion based. And but you've developed that. You've created that. You've created the world that you're. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but okay, yes, absolutely, and I'm I'm uh, I'm always a pains to say it's not luck. It's you you made it it's that design, way. Yeah. It's design, but it's also I was able to identify the thing that I was passionate about. Mm. A lot of people really struggle with that, I think, and and you know you read all these sort of uh, books on longevity and how to increase your health span and da da da, da and so like find your purpose. Yeah, but where is it? Like for mm. so many people, that's a really sort of nebulous concept that you would find your purpose. It To me, it's whatever, whatever it is that makes you really laugh or really cry. It's in there somewhere. Yeah. And it's it's funny because and again, it goes back to the kind of the spine of this podcast is that often in your early years in childhood, you'll find that passion or that interest or that talent. And as you said, the amount of people that will tell you, you're good at art, you're good at English. Have you thought about nursing? You know, Keith Barry was on the last episode and he got the same response when they said, went to the career guidance teacher and said, I want to be a magician, <laughs> you know? But I think it's, I think part of it is, is, is seeing that ember and actually having the courage and the desire to stick with it and follow it through and not listen to the naysayers. So um, we're close to wrapping up, but I just want to ask you a little bit, your 12 seasons into the Lennon Courtney te podcast. Te we're about to launch season tw 10. 10, of, yeah. Okay, tell us a little bit about it and what, what people can expect and where they can find you. So we have had a few different iterations of myself and Brandon's podcast, uh, which is the Lennon Courtney podcast. Um, the the soon-to-be-launched 10th season is... Um, it's very exciting, to be honest with you. Um, it's called Can't Say That Anymore. And it's how to navigate the new lexicon of language around difference. And we have some phenomenal guests who have very diverse backgrounds and identities. Um, and they speak very openly about their own um, their own experience, their own desire to have open conversations. And, you know, we, we call them the pearl clutchers. The people who take offense are not necessarily the people who represent difference. They're the people who feel they should be taking offense on behalf of others. Um, and, and I don't think there's any um, utility to that, really. And, and all of the guests that we spoke to all said the same thing. Come and talk to me. If, if you don't know what to say to me, come and ask me and talk to me and learn about me and understand me a little bit better. Um, but I talk all the time about this force field of fear. People are afraid to talk about the challenges in case they're perceived as whining. And they're afraid to speak to difference in case they cause offence. And that just creates a kind of a, a vortex in the middle where nobody's talking. Um, and I think we need to learn to have vulnerable and challenging conversations. We learn, need to relearn how to disagree with each other um, and for that to be OK. Um, I expressed an opinion, a political opinion. Um, the other day and somebody DM'd me and said, I can't believe you're and I I was always a huge fan of yours and I can't believe you're taking this stance. And well, now that's just ruined it. And I said, look, 
thankfully, we live in a country where we are both allowed to hold opposing views. And I hope that never changes. I respect your view, even though it's different to mine. And I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> Didn't hear anything back, you know, but that's, I suppose, the art of being able to disagree with somebody and still value them as a person. That's OK. Very good. When's it coming out, the new season? It, we haven't we haven't hit on a date. We have a couple of um, other sort of markers to navigate at the moment, but mm -hmm. certainly within the next six weeks, we'll be launching. Brilliant. Sonia, I just want to say thank you so much for coming in. It's great to see you. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, where can people find you on your social media if they want to follow I'm you? I'm at Sonia Lennon all over the place. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure to follow us on Instagram at talentmatters underscore podcast. You can subscribe to our YouTube at talentmatters underscore podcast. We're even on uh, TikTok now. And Very impressed. At talentmatters underscore pod. That's thanks to my 14 year old. Callie, <laughs> Callie set that up. Uh, and it's a 